some very wicked times. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Tell you a story. June of this year, a girl goes to an NBA playoff basketball game with her father, Dallas Mavericks in Texas. She gets up, she goes to use the bathroom, never comes back. The father goes searching for her, can't find her. Talks to security, security can't find her. They call the cops, cops come, they can't find her. Everybody leaves the game, game's over, the cops write it off as, you know, she was, she's probably a runaway. Father gets home, talks to his wife, says, hey, that's not our daughter, she had no reason to run away. You know, she has everything she wants, she's been happy, why would she, she didn't run away. He gets in contact with a uh, nonprofit that employs uh, former special operations guys to help find and locate victims of human trafficking and to bring some of these savages to justice. This organization goes on the dark web, and weeks later, guess who they find? The daughter. She had been abducted and sold on the black web for sex for weeks. Raped multiple times, had a profile and everything. So this nonprofit of knuckle-dragging, pipe-swinging warriors set up a sting, and that sting, they were able to rescue her, bring the traffickers to justice, and some of those traffickers who they identified were at the game that day. They were just looking for a soft target. We're living in some evil times. But God has called us as his men to be the hand, his hands and feet in this world. He's called us to do it. And my theory is that one of the reasons why this world is unstable and is as chaotic as it is, is because the men and women of God have not fulfilled our obligations. To most of us, being a Christian is just about going to church. It's just about saying some prayers and hoping things will work itself out. It's just about religion, ritual, and confining our Christianity to the four walls of a building. No signs, no wonders, no action, instead impotence. Now don't get me wrong. The world would still be bad if every Christian did what we were supposed to do. Why? Because we know that the devil is the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who is a god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 1 John 4.18 says that we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So yes, because the devil runs this world's systems, things would still be bad if we all did what we were called to do, but they wouldn't be this bad. Human trafficking wouldn't be a $32 billion industry that's on track to surpass the drug trade. There wouldn't be more people enslaved around the world today than any other time in human history. There wouldn't be 600,000 to 800,000 globally trafficked victims every year with the majority of those victims being women and children. Where are the men? That wouldn't happen if knuckle-dragging, pipe-swinging, Holy Spirit-filled warriors showed up and really became the hands and feet of Jesus. As Jocko Willink would say to my seal platoon, do the work. You're frogmen, you're warriors. That's what you're trained to do. Go to war and crush skulls. Rescue those who cannot protect themselves. Do the work. And who would I be as a frogman to go all, through all of that training Learn all of the things that I've learned in church, kind of translating these things, hear all of these sermons, shoot my gun a million times to not go do the job. Get people with these better Christians sometimes. Isn't that the job for the police to go out and do that? Isn't that what your Navy SEALs are supposed to do? I don't want to get my hands dirty. A bunch of freaking punks. I'm serious. The church is filled with a bunch of freaking punks. 
I'm not saying you guys are. I'm just saying the church in general is. The Bible is not just written for police officers and men of physical war. It's written for men and women of spiritual war. And the moment you became a Christian, you've engaged in spiritual war. You've enlisted into this battle. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says to all believers, not just men of physical war, women of physical war. It says to all believers, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Psalms 82, verse 3 through 4 says to all believers, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. You deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Those are commandments for all of us, whether you're a war fighter or a desk jockey. We shouldn't be allowing this world to sell other human beings. And it happens here in America all the time, right under our noses. Now, I get men when I talk about this topic who get fired up and they're like, I didn't know all of that stuff. How can I get involved? What can I do to get into this fight against human trafficking? Well, I'm going to give you some training so that that way all of you guys and myself included have no excuse to not do something now that we know. First thing, we got to get educated. There was a cartoon I grew up watching called G.I. Joe. And there was a slogan, and that slogan was, knowing is what? Say it louder, knowing is what? That's right, knowing is half the battle. So in this battle, we must have basic knowledge as to what we're dealing with. So here's some basic things to know about human trafficking. When people hear the term human trafficking, they just equate that to sex trafficking. That's not true. There are multiple facets of human trafficking. Sex trafficking is just one of them, but there's also organ harvesting, which is what my film talks about and deals with and what I've dealt with in, in, in my profession. There's also labor trafficking. People are trafficked for labor. There's forced marriage, which th that's a form of trafficking. Recently, there's a story out of China where, uh, out of Cambodia, excuse me, where a guy from China went to Cambodia and was abducted by a gang and he was blood trafficked for months. This is all open source, you can go see it. They hooked him up to him and they would just draw his blood until he was finally able to get rescued and escaped. I interviewed a guy who was trafficked from Venezuela to Colombia and from Colombia to, um, to the Mexican border. And how he got lured there was because the cartel and other nefarious figures have set up these fake travel agencies where they're luring people from all around the world, not just South America, to the border and, and, and pitching to them this idea, we will get you into the U.S., but instead they're abducting these people. This particular guy who I interviewed was in a house with at least 100 men, women, and children. They were held captive. There were, there were no doorknobs on the inside. The women were, were sex trafficked. The men were used for labor, and then also the men had to pay 9,000, had to have their family members pay $9,000 in order for them to be released. After they paid the $9,000, the men were executed, and the kids were used for drug trafficking, which means they were given drugs and sent across the border. None of the kids were found afterwards. There are multiple facets to human trafficking. It's not just about sex trafficking, and there's so many other facets as well. Next fact that we need to know, San Diego is one of the biggest ports of entry for human trafficking in the world. It's right down the road, right down the road, okay? Next one, most recruitment takes place online. Online recruitment increased 22% during the lockdown. There was a 25% increase, 25 increase reported on Facebook, 95% increase on Instagram. Those social media apps that your kids are on, you better get them off. And you better be monitoring, especially young girls. So many young girls are lured via social media to places with modeling opportunities or acting opportunities or 
maybe dating opportunities. Here's this guy that's been following her for a certain amount of time, and he's been sending her these messages. She thinks this person is, is her age. In reality, it's a man in his 30s, 40s that's looking for another victim. Americans drive the demand for materials created with traffic victims. Next fact. In fact, the highest producer and consumer of child pornography in America are Americans. Not just in America, but in the world, excuse me, are Amer Americans. The number one consumer and producer of child pornography in the world are Americans. The profile for men who travel abroad to have sex with underage girls are Americans. Christians. There's been Christian men, pastors who've been caught in South America, pastors who've been caught with pornography, child pornography. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Yet there's men that watch this stuff and watch content that may have been produced, whether a child or adult, may have been produced with a traffic victim. That includes OnlyFans as well. Next fact, when it comes to human trafficking, remember that there are three types of victims. There are victims that are lured and tricked. For example, there's a story out of India where a woman was told, hey, there's a job opportunity for you in New Delhi. Come up here because she was in a lower caste system. She went to uh, New Delhi. She was put in an apartment, had everything she needs. She was living a dream. The tr work, the employer told her, you need to go get a checkup tomorrow. She goes to the clinic to go get a checkup. She gets undressed. The only thing that what kept her alive was her attentiveness. She heard a nurse say to the doctor in the other room, this is girl is giving these organs. She got dressed, boogied out of that clinic, reported the clinic and the employer to the police. The police did an investigation and the raid uncovered a multi-million dollar organ harvesting ring that had been going on for a long period of time. Then you also have people who willingly give up their organs because they're so desperate. Egypt is the organ harvesting capital of the world. You get a lot of people who are just in such poverty, they'll sell a kidney. There was a, a, a story out of Costa Rica where Israeli, an Israeli doctor was uh, brokering kidneys in, Isra in, in Costa Rica. So if somebody from Israel was, needed a kidney, they would fly to Costa Rica. That broker would match that person with uh, uh, the person who needed the kidney with someone poor. They would get a kidney. So that's willingly. And then you have what my film focused on, people who are abducted. There's so many stories on the border of, uh, of, and I've seen pictures of this, this is horrible, of babies who are cut open, stuffed with drugs, swaddled, and sent across the border. Their organs were taken out and sold on a black market. So there's three types of victims. One, victims who willingly give up an organ, victims who are tricked, and victims who are essentially abducted, okay? There's so many other facts, but that's it. Knowing is half the battle. I can give you a whole lot more, but for the sake of the time, I'm gonna stop it right there. Next thing, what's the next way you guys can engage in this fight? Use the giftings and resources that God has given you to engage in this fight. Remember, we are God's hands and feet in this world. He's not going to come down and fight these evil people. He's going to fight them through us. You with me? How did I get involved? When I got out of the military, I, was still, I still had that sense to serve. And so I did different things. I went to prisons and spoke in prisons. I remember going into one prison in Denver and just sitting in prison, hanging out with the guys. I, went to, uh, I would go to inner city schools because I grew up in the Bronx and I would just, just sit with these kids in the hood because I grew up in the hood. I did different things, but one thing that kept on popping up was human trafficking. Slave to Nothing, which is a nonprofit that was started by uh, Lindsay. She's the uh, owner of uh, In-N-Out Burger. She, you know, I volunteered with her. There was another nonprofit called Without Permission. You know, I volunteered with them, it just, and people just kept on reaching out to me. And then one year, I got contacted by another nonprofit called OUR, and they asked me. And, and OUR specifically employs former SEALs, Delta Force, other Special Forces guys, along with CIA guys, to go down into South America and other countries to rescue kids trapped in sex 
trafficking and human, human uh, and organ harvesting. So I'd go down there, thank you, I'd go down there, and my eyes were open. Again, I'm using the gifts. I'm, I was, I'm, I was, I'm a trained killer. I'm a, I'm trained, I'm a tra- trained weapon. So why don't I use the giftings and the resources that I have to go do something? So I go down there and, and I go down to DR and I go down to Haiti and just to, to kind of get more um, focused on why I'm doing what I am, what I'm doing now. I'm in Haiti. I'm in D- Dominican Republic and I'm in this slum, in this particular slum where the parents sell their kids into sex trafficking, specifically their daughters. They sell their daughters to the North because in the North, Westerners and Americans come and have sex with the girls. And this one, and I couldn't grasp it as a father of four kids. I couldn't grasp this concept of selling my kid for sex. And this liaison pulls me aside and he pulls me into this chapel, but there was no, it was, a, it was probably the size of three bathroom sto- toilet stalls. And at, in, at, at the end of the chapel was a baby in a casket, six-month-old baby that was dead. And he explained to me that the baby died because the mama couldn't bre- breastfeed anymore because she wasn't getting enough sustenance. And so she got some formula and she mixed the formula with the water and the water is bad in this particular slum and the water is what killed the baby. So what he was trying to explain to me, he was saying, Remy, this is their plight. Either I sell, we sell our daughters to the north to be tricked out and, and pimped out and sold for sex or our kids die. Desperation. So when I got back from DR on that particular deployment, as soon as I got back, I had all of these voicemails on my, on my phone from um, Michael Bay's producing partner. Michael Bay's a famous director, and, and he was like, hey, Remy, we're looking for you because we want you to work on a movie, a Netflix movie called Six Underground. It was in that moment that like, those two worlds collided, so to speak. It was like, here I am working in human trafficking and seeing it, and then on the other end, I work in the film and TV industry. How can I combine these two worlds? How can I create some type of campaign where I'm using my giftings and talents as a filmmaker to expose this? Because I can kick down 100 doors and rescue 100 kids, but there's still gonna be 100,000 more that needs rescuing. Six million kids every year are trafficked. So, so what, can I, what can I do? And that was it. That's when my eyes opened. I was like, use what you have. Use these lessons that you learn about filmmaking and make a film and put it out into the marketplace for free so that people can see and get educated. Because people may not listen to a traditional filmmaker, but they may want to listen and watch something that you make because your background is a seal. So I say to you guys, are you a storyteller? Do you have a platform to be able to reach other people? Use that platform. Go back to the, the areas you grew up in because people will listen to you and share, share with them about this plight. Share with them the reality of this atrocity. Do you have a background in tactics? Find a nonprofit that you could partner with. There's a nonprofit that I partner with now called Lantern Rescue. As a matter of fact, every shirt that we're selling today, proceeds from the sale is going to Lantern Rescue because they, they, they hire former SEALs and Delta and other guys to go rescue kids trapped in sex trafficking and organ harvesting. So use your, your background. Are you a cyber geek? Can you maneuver around the dark web and expose trafficking rings? Do that. Are you good at doing paperwork? Do that. Are you good at counseling? Work with, a after, work in, with a human trafficking organization that has an aftercare program. Do you have financial resources that you could put towards a nonprofit that specializes in anti, anti-trafficking ops or aftercare? Give. We're the hands and feet. We're going to be the only ones that's going to fix this problem. And the church should be at the forefront of it. And that's what frustrates me the most, that the church is not. Whatever the case may be, you must use the physical tools that God has given you because you're his hands and feet. Last point as far as what you can do to get into this fight. Act when you notice the signs. When you notice signs of a traffic victim, don't just be like, oh, I'm, not, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I might be wrong. Do something. Case in point, there was a, a flight attendant on a Delta flight from Atlanta. She saw a child with somebody, and something wasn't right about that child. And she had just taken a course online about the signs and symptoms of a traffic victim. She said something. Come to find out that child wasn't with their parent. That child was with a trafficker, and that child was being moved to another state. child had been abducted. Okay? 
So for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump and read down these list of signs because I'm running out. One, often a traffic victim is in the company of someone who he or she defers to or, or who seems to be in control of the situation. The person appears to be coached, a traffic victim. A person has lack of personal possessions and, un and unstable living conditions. They have no freedom of movement, unreasonable security me measures. If a child stops attending school, if you, have a if you have kids and your kid goes to school, so-and-so just stopped going to school. It's just, that doesn't make sense. Look into it. Investigate it. Sudden dramatic changes in the behavior of a person. Bruises in various stages of healing. Fearful, timid, or overly submissive. This is a big one. A lot of traffic victims, they're just overly submissive or timid. They flip. Do something. Investigate it. Say something. Signs of having been denied food, water, sleep, or medical care. And the last thing, traffickers recognize and take advantage of people who are vulnerable. So if it's somebody that just seems vulnerable, it's better to say something and be wrong than to not say something and be right. So in closing, just remember, it's not just about praying. It's saying, oh, I hope change will come. I hope the cops will do something. I hope the seals will do something. No, being a Christian, as Pastor Mike said, is about action. And God proclaimed this in the Garden of Eden when he said to the serpent, he, the man, will strike your head. God was saying that we, as God's men, will strike the head of the serpent, will strike evil. That's a physical action. That wasn't just meant for something spiritual. What did Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 say? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Psalms 82, 3 through 4. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. You deliver them from the grasp of evil people. You all do it. And I'm pointing to myself as well. I have a shirt that says, and the shirt that I'm wearing right now is one of the shirts that we're selling out there. And again, the proceeds are going to, to, to a human trafficking nonprofit. It says, time to pay the man. It's time to pay the man. It's time for the devil to pay the men. Because we're going to get out there and we're going to get after it. My film releases this upcoming Friday. It's on YouTube. I had a chance to sell it and I could have made money. I put $150,000 of my own money into this film. I don't care about money at this point. It's about using the resources that I have to be able to get this message out there. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to boast. I had the opportunity to sell it to an to a online subscriber thing, but I chose not to because I wanted to put it on YouTube so that people can see it for free. So people have no excuse to to look away or say, ah, oh, I gotta pay this amount of money. It's a 32 minute film, it's based on true events, it's a horrifying story about organ harvesting, but it will open your eyes to the reality of it and it will show you some signs and symptoms if you ever see somebody that may be potentially trafficked. Watch that film this Friday on YouTube, it's called The Unexpected, and share that link so that we can engage other men and women of God into this fight because that's what it's gonna take. We are God's warriors. We're, the moment we came to Christ, we were enlisted into a battle. No longer can we look away. And every man in this room now has the information, so we have no excuse. Hi, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm going to try and make this as fast as I can. Um, I've uh, avoided the radar pretty much my entire life. But personally, I don't even feel like I'm good enough to stand up on that stage right now. I was born kind of into the church. Father was a Pentecostal pastor. Uh, he ended up becoming the music minister for TBN, for Paul and Jan Crouch, for about seven years. So five nights a week, I'm at the TV studio with him, surrounded by a bunch of what were, in the beginning, you know, the first megachurch pastors in the nation. And to be honest, I, I had no appetite for corporate church. None. Uh, I'm... For the backstory, my mom became a police officer, actually corrections officer, so she ran jails. 
and I was, I was kind of a hard kid to love, a hard kid to lead, and um, aside from getting the boot, I was always about twice the size of my age. I'm seven years old, I'm the size, you know, I'm the size of a 14-year-old. It followed me all the way to now. But my past gets tricky. Parents divorced when I'm four. I see my first dead body breathe his last breath when I'm six outside of our duplex. I see the first demonized woman inside my father's Tuesday night Bible study at a YWCA when I'm seven. Uh, I started studying books in the occult when I'm 10. I was with my mom at her work, and uh, she's teaching at the academy. And so I find everything, right? Just a curious little kid. I started reading the dictionary because my mom was so overprotective. She wouldn't let me leave the house. So I learned a bunch of $3 words and you know, found use for them over time. But the reality is, I had no appetite for the church, find the books in the occult. I get pissed off at God saying, you never told me this was real. My own father never taught me about spiritual warfare. My mother was too in a depressed funk to understand what was happening or to get herself out. And if you knew my little 553 Mexican mom, you know her, her mission is love. She is the loving hands and feet, which is why I always joke around in the circles that I'm with. The sword of the Lord comes from the loving hands and feet of Christ. This morning, you're going to hear from a lot of great men, a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of preachers, Remy, that was powerful. From what little bit I know about the trafficking overseas, you know, you have parents that are actively putting their children into trafficking. You have young men who are putting themselves into tra being trafficked to other men in Thailand. And Americans are the biggest consumers. So this morning, as it relates to that, I need to weaponize your faith. I need to teach each one of you that you are more than capable of spiritual violence on a scale that you have not yet engaged in. So much of the church has been teaching you how to pray for things and not sufficiently against things. In my opinion, spending years in executive protection, going back to the Playboy Mansion, going all the way forward to guarding mega churches and other houses of worship, the church has been compromised. The church has taught more messages on God is love, which is only about four to five times in the Bible, versus God is Lord, which is about 400 times in the Bible. Even in these hallways, which I praise God for church, every man is here and is operating because their footing has been in church. But the reality is, the message has been offset. Everyone's, it's not a matter of whether or not it's a good message or biblical message. Is it the right message for the season? The entire world knows we're about to go to war. This church knows we were born behind enemy lines, exactly as Remy said. So what are you doing? How are you praying? What's the measure of violence that you're even capable of? And you're like, well, how's that even a thing? Matthew 6, 33. Pretty sure that's it. That one always gets me. But seek first the kingdom of God. Right? That's, that's kind of like a pretty generic one. Okay, how about Matthew eleven twelve? And since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What if I told you that the very first thing you're supposed to do with your mourning is to seek first the kingdom and take it by force? When's the last time you actually took prayer by force? When's the last time you took territory first within yourself and then outside? The church doesn't even speak to the spiritual condition in the world because the church is too busy becoming a business and maintaining business. Business has been good. Praise God for that. We're all here at the benefit of business being good. But the season has changed. If our footing can't change and engage warfare as intended, we've missed it. Every single person in this room that's under the age of 50, you survived the greatest biblical slaughter of all time. The first time the enemy came for children at the time of Moses. They think about 2,000 babies. Next time he comes for Jesus, was he afraid of the potential of someone being born? Maybe somewhere between 14 to 200, depending upon whatever scholar you talk to. In this nation alone, 70 million babies aborted. You want the genocide lottery. What are you going to do with it? Because what Satan tried to kill off wasn't just one man. He tried to kill off an entire freaking army. So I'm looking at this room, men of every age, every size, you don't have to be a firearms instructor. You don't have to be a tactics instructor. You don't have to be skilled or proficient in some sort of physical trade that allows you to take another man's life. You can be in the comfort of your bed because your legs don't work anymore. 
The whole point is engagement. We have to be engaged differently, and it's up to you. It's up to all of us. So it's time to weaponize our faith, and I'm called today to unlock your ability to commit spiritual violence. The scriptures are there. It's whether or not you actually have the heart for it. If you don't have the heart to commit spiritual violence now against an unsuspecting enemy who's gone unchecked for too long, what is it going to take? How many of our kids do they need to take? This state alone, where, where the state's saying that a child can get reproductive sex change, drugs, and surgery without your consent or permission. How many kids need to go through that before you actually wake up and engage differently? You know, I, I'll be honest. You're fearfully and, weighed, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. It's cliche. Everyone gets it. The church is filled with good men. But am I looking at good men or dangerous men? Amen. What does the church need right now? Good men to become dangerous men. So if, if what you want is to engage, if spiritual violence is available to you, if the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force, what are you going to do when you wake up in the morning? You're going to pray four things, constant life-filled morning by morning praying for things. You're going to finally wake up and start praying against things. And the reason why this is relevant, so the fourth watch, as I learned it, is from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. It's actually based off the Roman watches that oversaw Israel. 12 to 3 a.m. is the heaviest time of demonic activity as it relates to witchcraft. The witchcraft starts first from 12 to 3. The demonic activity is poured out from 3 to 6. So many people I've ran into lately have said I've been waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning like clockwork every single day. What do they do? They turn over. That's it. They go to the bathroom and back in. For the last 15 years, I've been walking and praying from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning, starting around my neighborhood. Revival had to start with me. Then I started taking it around my city, my community, my church. Then I started taking it to D.C., and Philly, and Jerusalem. And as I'm walking around the world, what has God showed me? No one's up praying. And praise God for women, the spiritual fiber of women over the last 50 years that actually got a lot of men, kept a lot of households, giving, buying time for a lot of men to get back in. But what's also happened over the last 50 years is that the church is finally making a correction saying that we need to get God back in politics. We need godly men back in politics. We don't have another 50 years to say, oh, actually, we need to make men spiritual. So as the book of Revelation is being read out loud, Revelation 1.6 starts the party off. The word of God calls men kings and priests to God. Manhood and priesthood. Manhood and spirituality. So the first order and the standing order that we have to actually engage in spiritual violence is to start your day differently. Your footing has to change. You're not a man having a spiritual awareness. You're a spirit having a human experience. You are a spirit. You live in your body. You command your soul. That's what you say to yourself every single day. Not what am I thinking? What am I feeling? It's I'm a spirit. What's the engagement? Who's in front of me this morning? What's attacking my kids? What's attacking my marriage? What's attacking my business? What's attacking my ministry? Your footing has to change before your words change. Once your footing changes and your eyesight starts looking at the enemy for what he's doing, your footing changes to what's the word of God say? If you start reading 2 Kings, first through the 10th chapter, Elijah, Elisha, and Jehu. Elisha killed 42 kids by two bears running out just because they made fun of his bald head. We're not those men, right? That's not what it's about. It's not about being injured and then praying something, but what the Bible says, and Jesus said, I came to complete the law, the Old Testament. In my ministry right now, I'm teaching men how to actively use their spiritual fiber and footing to curse, to curse to death. Everyone's looking around saying we're looking for a man, a proxy to take position on a stage or inside an office to start to effectuate change. And I, I call BS. What about you? What about the spirit within you that's upset with all the things going on? You think you don't have a dog in this fight? 
You think your own personal story doesn't have a dog in this fight? Wake up and pray. You think your family's not under attack? Wake up and pray. You think your marriage, your business, all these things are under attack? Wake up and pray. The school system's under attack. Wake up and pray. All throughout the day. If it means nothing to you, all you're going to do is be a nice, good Christian man and check the box every week. We're done with good Christian men. Be a dangerous man for God. This is how far I've gotten without being a good Christian man. I have a Bible study I just started called Jesus and Beers. I know there's a bunch of people in recovery here. Praise God, you've on, you're on the path that you're on and you've made the distance that you are. Christ is your identity. I'm speaking to your potential because even everyone with an addiction and alcohol at all, you should start a Jesus and Beers. Why? Because it doesn't have any power over you. And if this is the time for men to gather, the men I'm connecting with outside of the quote-unquote church, the hardened guys, the guys that have been through hell and back, warm back, the guys that wouldn't step foot inside a powerless, feckless church, what are they doing? I'm in. I got six pastors right now across the country that want to hold Jesus in beers because after conversing, they realized if I hold Jesus and beers inside the church, every single man in a 30-mile radius would show up just to have a beer inside a church and have a joke about it. <laughs> Listen, the season's changed. Conventional warfare is over. Unconventional warfare has to begin. That starts with you. That starts with the house of God. This can't be a place that just you come for you know, a good pastoral message one day a week. You're the pastor six days a week, or you're not. Make up your mind. Either you're going to rise each morning and lead yourself in spirit, lead your family in spirit, or you won't. Make up your mind. You men that are single, you're looking for a woman that's going to be the spiritual neck that turns the head. You think you can do that with just your mind? You're going to think about a good spiritual woman and go to church? Lord knows the church girls are the most dangerous, by the way, so be careful. <laughs> I'm not here to, to sell you a bill of goods. Um, my backstory includes a uh, son. He's 20 now. It was a massive custody battle that I had for about 12 years, actually. Um, I got full custody within just a miraculous moment between eight months between me letting go of the custody battle where he would not go in front of the judge with his mom in the room to say he wants to live with me. He was protecting her. To fast forward, I, I have full custody without, without doing anything. It's possible. So all you single dads, press in. But I'm going to tell you my measure of warfare and why each man needs to engage also your spiritual righteous indignation. Lay what's, your, what's on your heart and your story at Christ's feet and ask for war in return. For six years, from six to 12, my son was routinely molested and raped by an older stepbrother. The only reason why it stopped is because he outgrew his attacker. My son was the sweetest. My son was the kindest, the most gracious, but he was also the most forgetful. What I didn't realize is that there was so much mental trauma happening by him trying to manage the situation. He would intentionally wipe out his memory every single day. Something came up, a little thought came in, everything on his plate had to go. His mom let him fail from the fourth grade forward. He started to fail in the third grade. I don't even know how kids fail the third grade, but I get it. Hindsight, I get it. So I'd forgiven his mom. Shortly after I got full custody, we had a long conversation, a couple of them. I forgave mom, the stepdad, everyone involved. My son tells me when he's 18, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving 2020, he, he tells me, hey, I, I need to tell you something before I tell the group tonight. I was leading the Bible study group on addressing your grievances. And he says, um, you might want to sit down. I'm like, there's not a chance. He tells me. And I asked my questions, and over the course of 15 minutes, I didn't realize I had actually picked up the granite countertop. My fingers were bleeding. In my mind, I'd killed everyone. Everyone. They were dead. What I was reconciling was I was an on-again, off-again professional protector, still training, still had all my skill set, and I couldn't protect my son. That night, my son's story helped a 75-year-old county coroner reconcile that his daughter was raped when she was 13 and she was 56. 
he'd carried the weight of her rape for 50 years. That night, because my son's testimony, that man publicly told the group, and it was only about eight of us for the first time, and he cried like a child. All that pain let out, all of it. The very next morning, we were supposed to go walk around Independence Hall. I led the group. This time, I stayed about 30 yards in front. Everything was poured out. Because the morning before, the Holy Spirit asked me, after I mentally killed everyone in my mind and replotted how I was going to kill everyone in my mind, he's like, hey, um, you forgave her, right? Pardon my language, God. I'm like, shit, yeah, I did. I did. And he's like, you forgave all of them, right? Yeah, I did. He's like, good, you know what to do. Why did God prepare me for 12 years of walking and praying and handing the enemy his ass in prayer? Why did he give me 12 years before that moment caught up with me? Why did he already show me the effectiveness of righteous indignation and spiritual warfare? It's for conversations like this. The following morning, I walked around Independence Hall. There's a guy named Dutch Sheets, who a couple of days, a couple of days later, comes out with his little Given 15 devotional. He talks about something called Project Valkyrie, and he said, the morning of Thanksgiving, I saw thousands of angels circling Independence Hall from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. And the captain of the Lord's army said, perfect justice is being poured out this morning. And the commander's judgments are supreme. Everything I prayed that morning was poured out. Nothing was left. I was exhausted. I couldn't drink. I, like, I was depleted of everything. But the enemy suffered greatly, and another man in the spirit saw exactly what he got the after-action report based off what we were doing. That's not the only story I have about the effectiveness of spiritual warfare, righteous anger, hating evil, and how this all goes down. But every single man in this room is just as capable of wielding that heavenly sword of the Lord as much as I am. It's a choice. Rise to it. Praise God that you're here. Praise God that you're getting equipped. But the war is raging. The church has to take the lead. Because as the, all the institutions in this world are rising up against our God, who's God's chosen respondent? If we don't show up, the work doesn't get done. I appreciate you guys. Now that may have looked like a, you know, good movie. Maybe you've seen Braveheart. There's something significant about that scene or those scenes. What did the king say? He said, you bled with Wallace, now bleed with me. There is a significant part of that that applies right here, right now. In fact, if you really think about it, when we talk about blood, those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, and you've given your life to him, we have an authority and a power by his blood that so many of us may know, but as Steve talked about, we don't engage that fight. We don't use that, that authority that we have to fight the evil one. And there's a lot of reasons why we don't do it. But I'm here to just share a couple of things about what I hope and pray you do. How we fight the spiritual war is going to define the world to come. We are in a spiritual battle of epic proportions right now. And it's manifested in the physical realm where evil doesn't even hide itself anymore. Now I might start ranting and raving up here. I might start crying. I don't know. But Holy Spirit, just speak through me to these men. It's time right now, like Steve says, to choose. Are you in or are you out? And the liar's voice says, well, not me. You know, I did this this morning, or I'm not wired, or I'm not man enough. We follow a warrior king. His name is Jesus Christ. And, and for those of you that may look to the Bible and and, and, and we hear, and again, I'm not here to bang on the church. I praise God for Rob and God speak. 
and Jack Hibbs and the ones that are truly training up God's sons and daughters to engage in the fight. But doggone it, the church needs to read the last book of the Bible. Jesus is not coming back to hand out free hugs. This is serious. Almost nothing is more important than the fact that you know evil exists and either you fight it or you do nothing about it. Nothing more important in your life as a man. Where do you start? It's so overwhelming. I'm so jacked up. You start again with going to the cross and you ask God's blood through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to wash you clean and give you that authority. And maybe it's just a matter of going home and taking authority in your home by the power of Christ. And it may mean something much bigger. But all I know is a, a man that got saved 13 years ago, Satan is a liar. The Bible says he's about stealing, killing, and destroying. I have been around thousands of quote-unquote Christian men, and the majority of them... They don't believe he's real. They don't take him seriously. Oh, the devil, yeah, oh, the devil, we, 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 we blame everything on him. He wants to take you out. He's already taken out so many men in the church. They don't even know they've been taken out. There's a battle. They're off the field. They think they've got no fight left in them. Well, guess what? Then they don't know the warrior king, Jesus. And all I want to tell you this morning in my few moments that I have, when he said, you bled with Wallace, some men were drawn to leaders, men, that have got it going on, because they, they walk a certain way and they, they've lived a certain life. William Wallace was a real dude. I'm going to Scotland in six weeks and look at all of the, the remnants of what he did. But the point is, the king said, you bled with him, now bleed with me. Men, do you, do you want to go to battle? Do you want to go to war? Do you want to take your last breath and go, man, I compromised my whole life? Or do you want to take your last breath and go, Father, thank you. I'm going to be thoroughly used up when I die. Amen. Now again, a year ago I stood on this stage and I made an announcement that I was leaving my, my radio gig. Didn't plan on doing it. Completely the Holy Spirit. The last year has been hell. My life has fallen apart. I've been betrayed by a great friend. Everything has broken loose over the last year, and guess what? Jesus said, follow me. I'm here. He's burning the dross out of me. He's preparing me for a new season. And men, all I can tell you is, you know on some level that season is here. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and you look out and you're like, what's happened to the world? What's happened to some of your friends that were logical and rational and intelligent for a while where they won't even engage in a conversation with you? There's so much fear out there. There's a spirit of blindness and delusion and deception in our culture. We need to pray that the scales are removed from people's eyes and that the church be the lighthouse to our ever-darkened world. We need to pray that the spirit of darkness be lifted. But brothers, it's time to hit your knees and start praying. No reason not to. You can pray. How to pray? Read the Bible. The 12 that followed our king even asked him, after three years, seeing miracles, being taught, they still said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Ask God to teach you how to pray. But get up. I'm one of those guys that Steve was talking about. For the last year, I've developed insomnia at 3 o'clock. Man, I'm up. And it wasn't until recently where it dawned on me, and Steve confirmed it. 
Pardon my language. Get your ass out of bed and start praying, Frank. We are witnessing the mocking of God's creation. And if you truly love God as a follower of Jesus Christ, you better do something about it. Do not let the spirit of the Antichrist mock our king. Am I, am I coming in loud and clear? We're being conditioned how and what to think. We're witnessing the separation of mankind through fear, panic, and hype. Doggone it. Do not be afraid of tyrants. It's one of the last things I'll tell you. Stop being afraid of tyrants. They're bullies. They're punks. They're demons manifested in our world right now. I was having a conversation with my 14-year-old son the other night about evil, and he breaks out this one on me. He says, Dad, I believe evil, they're walking among us. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, it's like, you know, the zombies are here. My 14-year-old. And I can't have a conversation with a 40-year-old or 140-year-old man with this, and they're like, "Eh, I'm not so sure. Or I don't want to risk. I don't want to get out of my comfort zone. I'm just a sinner saved by the cross of Christ. And I, I, I love what Steve says. Look, make a choice. Choose or don't choose. But if you really believe those words in the book about what he did and what he's going to do when he comes back, where are you right now with him? We've got to get right with the Lord. And we have to engage in the spiritual battle that is raging right now.